Hey everyone, and welcome to episode 18 of our podcast series, The Shades of Success, where we share with you the life stories of some of the top entrepreneurs and executives of color. I found today's guest while I was watching HGTV One Lazy Sunday, seeing all these people remodel all these beautiful homes into these beautiful specimens, and I began wondering, are there any people of color doing this? So I set out searching online and came across the amazing Joy Moiler, celebrity and high-profile commercial and residential architect and interior designer, and just all-around boss. After working for some of the biggest interior design and architecture companies, honing her skills and establishing her reputation, she went on to work for two huge design houses, Ralph Lauren and Armani, before finally going off and establishing her own design firm, Joy Moiler Interiors. So Joy has had a very decorated career, full of hard work, of course, but that work has led her to some amazing experiences and a client list that boasts actors, NBA coaches, and affluent international international businessmen. And they all agree that she's basically the best at what she does. So let's jump right in and hear more about how she got to where she is today. Joy, tell us a little bit about yourself. I am an interior designer. I am a New York native. I fell into interior design by way of uh, my love and studying of architecture. I have a BS in architecture. Uh, I have had the benefit of being in this amazing city growing up and having the opportunity to be immersed in all cultures around me that this city provides. And that inspiration continues to this day. And it too has led me on my career path in architecture and interior design. And you're a born and raised New Yorker? One of the few native <laughs> New Yorkers born in Mount Sinai Hospital, which still stands. So mm-hmm. tear the building down when I came out. <laughs> and um, yeah, I, I mean, I love it. I love, you know, that Central Park was my backyard, you know, and at the end of the day and on weekends, my parents made a point of taking my sister and I to um, the cultural pods pods that exist all around the city. So we'd start in the morning, you know, having a lox and bagel in the Lower East Side when it was then a very Jewish immigrant uh, town uh, or part of the city. And then we'd, you know, go up to the 20s and we'd eat Greek food for lunch and go to the Upper West Side and have some other cultural something for dinner and so it was great you know my parents definitely believed that their children should see the world starting with their own backyard and my dad worked at the new york times so he was very much into sort of a global sort of outreach and connection with people and that was part of our education that we needed to be able to read the New York Times at the dinner table, even when we were six and seven years old, to have a sense of the world beyond our our front door. Okay, great. And growing up, did you have a dream job? And if so, what was it? I I had several dream jobs. I um, was definitely, I knew I wanted to do something in entertainment. So I thought that that would be entertainment law. But then I was also very much influenced by fashion and fashion design because, you know, we'd spend time 
shopping for fabrics in the fashion in the garment district. Mm -hmm. My mom was um, very interested in textile. She's a quilter. Uh, so she very much wanted us to uh, be familiar with textiles from other countries and also the textiles that produced our clothing. And so fashion design was an immense, immense love of mine. And so I thought I would be a fashion designer. I thought I would be an entertainment lawyer. Then I wanted to be a script writer. <laughs> you know, in my 20s, I just was like, I'm going to write scripts for a living because my dad had friends who did that and their imaginations were so wild. And I was totally blown away how they could take an idea and develop it into a movie and get paid for it. It's like, <laughs> what? Storytelling makes money and you're like mm -hmm. on the big screen? I definitely want to do that. But, you know, architecture just kept biting at me and gnawing at me. And strangely enough, even though I grew up with a, in a home where my dad had a lot of entertainment friends, my mom was just about, I'm not paying for your college so you can go out and hang out in Hollywood. You know, you're not going to be, I do not want you to be around entertainment people. They're crazy. Mm -hmm. And so that really just, you know, pushed my love of architecture moving forward. Okay, nice. And so to start at the beginning, you attended New York Institute of Technology and you studied architecture. Right. But prior, prior to attending New York, um, Institute of Archi uh, New York Institute of Tech. Prior to attending New York Institute of Technology for Architecture, I um, went to high school at the High School of Art and Design here in the city. Oh, wow. And the wonderful benefit of that school is that every three months you have to select other disciplines to, to study. So for three months I would study photography. Another three months I would study fashion design. Another three months, I would study fashion illustration. Another three months, I would study sculpting or fine arts. So it was this immense rotation of the arts to provide an introduction to each of these disciplines for us to, to help us determine what we later wanted to major in in college. So before my attending architectural school, I, I knew that that's ultimately where I wanted to give my focus. Wow. I was born and raised in New York. I've never even heard of that high school. That sounds amazing. Yes, it's in the corner of uh, 57th Street and, and 2nd mm -hmm. Avenue. It's since mm -hmm. been relocated, but for years it was on that corner, and it churned out some amazing um, uh, artisans over the over the course of the years. You know, Even one of my professors was the guy who designed the Johnny Walker on the Johnny Walker uh, wow. or whatever that is. Mm -hmm. He designed that label. And many other great artists uh, went there as well. I think Kat, I think Keith Haring even went wow. for a little bit. Yeah. Mm, so you got a good background and foundation I there. I love it. It was incredible. I enjoyed it so much. Nice. Okay. So then what made you decide to go to New York Institute of Technology? Was that where you knew you needed to go for architecture? I knew that I needed to stay. I mean, there are, are amazing architectural schools all around the country. And I considered, you know, attending or rather applying to, you know, like the MITs and that kind of thing. Um, but I knew that I wanted to stay in New York. While attending uh, college, I really just knew that half of my education was going to come from being in a classroom 
and the other half was going to come from real life experience mm-hmm. and just interacting with people who are already working in these arenas. And I knew I couldn't get that if I attended a school in Boston or California or anywhere else. I knew that New York was the place that I absolutely needed to be. And so it was wonderful because then I didn't have to, you know, have my parents pay for my, you know, living expenses somewhere else either. So it was great. And while I was attending college, I started to work for the New York Times, assisting uh, some of the home design editors at the New York Times, and also Paul Goldberger, who was the architectural critic for the New York Times. And so, you know, sometimes I would just go get books for him or that sort of thing. But the opportunity to have conversations with these people who already had had decades of interest and knowledge about a craft and discipline that I was studying was an immense education of itself. And to this day, that is something that I do not take lightly, having had those opportunities. Uh, And again, choosing to remain in New York for my education was paramount because I would not have had those opportunities from those particular people and people like them had I attended school outside of New York. Okay. And then after college, you went on to work as an interior designer for, it looked like, two separate agencies? Oh, for many, many, many agencies. (laughs) I was a career employee, which is what I call it. Um, I, again, in college, I worked for the New York, uh, for the New York Times. And my first real job outside of college was working for Skidmore, Owings and Merrill which uh, I think to this day remains one of the legends in architecture. Um, You can walk around all over town and see buildings that they designed from Lever House to, to, you know, World Trades, Freedom Tower, they've just designed as well. So their history is legendary in not just New York, but in Chicago where the firm uh, originated. And they were a firm that at one point had 600 people uh, working. And it was of the days before AutoCAD and all of the drawings were done by hand. So your drawing skills needed to be immense. That was one of the things that provided your your opportunity for employment there. And, you know, these were the days way before Photoshop and SketchUp and all of these incredible uh, programs that exist now. And so it was a really intense environment. It was an environment where all the men wore white shirts and dark suits and everyone, all of the men's ties were flipped over their shoulders <laughs> to avoid getting ink, you know, on them and marring their, their ties. But it was a really interesting environment too. And it was an interesting environment because all of the other African-Americans that worked there were pretty much working either um, at the print shop or in the mm-hmm. mail room, or uh, we had a wonderful butler service that if you wanted coffee or tea, you know, they would bring it over to you. So when I, and there were other, a couple of other African-American men in architecture, but, you know, I think there were maybe just three of them. Uh, so when I arrived, I was the only African-American woman working there at the time. 
And it was a really interesting time. I mean, I never had any racial incidents or anything like that, but I have to admit that it took probably a good month before people warmed up to the idea that I was actually there and I didn't <laughs> going anywhere. Um, but it, it was fantastic because many of my friends that I have to this day who I consider family members are people that I worked with at SOM because we were really in the trenches. You know, our partners would um, assign us to projects with wicked deadlines. And again, nothing was done on AutoCAD. If there needed to be 45 drawings for a presentation, there was no like cut and paste and put them on layers. We need to do 45 drawings. And if we had to get them done in two weeks, you know, we had to work till three in the morning to do it. Mm-hmm. And so it was an incredible experience as a learning experience for not just how an architectural firm works, how teamwork works and how you rely upon your team members and also incredible uh, disciplinary skills. And when I say disciplinary skills, I don't mean in terms of how to speak English and how to be nice to people, but how to organize your drawings, how to organize your work, how to keep things in the place so that other team members can find them. And so in my own career, as I moved on to other firms and also establishing a firm for myself, I bring along with me, and to this day, I'm an incredible organizer. And I, you know, everything's online, everything is emailed, everything's Dropboxed, but I have binders on every project that I have because I'm still of the mentality that if I get hit by a bus, somebody could pick up a binder and know who I spoke to last on the project. You know, what emails are, I print all my emails, you know. Oh, wow. Uh, so I've got lots of shelves as a result, <laughs> but I think it's really, really important that you can still put your hand on a document. Also, as a, uh, a owner of a company, uh, the paper trail is incredibly important. Um, you know, everybody says, oh, I'm transparent, I'm transparent. I'm transparent, yeah, if you could find an email, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but transparency and being able to be accountable also to your your financial people at the end of the year, uh, a lot of that translates to be able to being able to produce documents to support that. So I'm just a real nut about the paper trail for myself and for my clients as well. And for those drawings that you said you had to do, how long did one, just one take? Oh, my God. Uh, (laughs) The drawings are often, you know, 24 by 36 or 36 by 42 or whatever. Uh, Some of these um, building elevations were enormous. And we would lay the drawings out on walls. Sometimes that would wrap the room when they were pinned up. Uh, beautiful, 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 beautiful drawings. I mean, museum quality drawings. Uh, And one unfortunate occurrence was when we were working on drawings for the World Financial Tower. And um, at the time, they allowed smoking in offices, which is one of the most disgusting things known to man that you've got maybe 100 people in a design studio when 50 people are smoking. Well, you know, we would take dinner breaks at like 8 o'clock, and at one point someone on the team 
put a cigarette in an ashtray and we went to dinner and when we came back, all of our drawings were on fire after we'd spent six weeks doing these drawings because they're all this onion trace, you know. And so literally we had to work around the clock for the next two weeks to reproduce all the drawings. So at some point you would have 15 people working on one drawing and everyone had to make sure that when we were crocheting and filling in the lines, filling in the space between the drawings, that everyone's line quality was the same. So the drawings appeared to have been done by one person, not 15. And when you talked about having to reproduce, you know, 20 drawings, you know, that are like 30 by 48 and wicked time, it was an immense challenge. Yeah, because the client couldn't know, you know, the drawings. Mm -hmm, Of course. (laughs) And even though all of the drawings weren't affected, um, Mm -hmm. the reproduction needed to start completely over for the consistency. Mm -hmm. And the pencil weights and the line weights and the ink weights and all of that. It was a phenomenal time. Yeah, I mean, like I said, this was way before Photoshop and AutoCAD. Now you could do 18 floors just by, you know, renaming the layers and and all of this. So, uh, and mind you, this isn't, don't get me wrong, this wasn't 1920. (laughs) So I, I'm not, you know, 145 years old or anything like that. But it just also speaks to the development of technology mm-hmm. over the last 20, almost 30 years. Yeah. Oh, wow. That is amazing. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. So from there, you were then at Ralph Lauren for a couple years? Uh, actually, I jumped between after Skimmerong, Zoe Merrill. I went to Cone Pedersen Fox. I went to... Uh, Naomi Leff, I went to John Saladino, um, I worked for Revlon doing uh, store design there. Uh, I've, I've, you know, been a lot of places, Philip Jansen Group, you know. I, I was a serial employee working for other what firms. What that? And I mm-hmm. loved it. You know, a lot of people at architectural school, you know, went on and started their own firms immediately. A lot of people left the SOM went and started their own firms immediately. And I I knew that I wasn't ready for that. I also knew that I wanted to work within different architectural styles. Mm-hmm. And I said, look, I want to do these things. I want to learn it on somebody else's dime. Mm-hmm. I think the best way to do that is to work for different firms who have different styles of architecture and interiors. I want to work I've just come out of working for a modernist group. I want to work for people who do traditional architectural interiors. I want to work for people who do transitional. I want to work for people who do postmodern architecture. I want to go back and work for people who do modern. Because when clients come to me later in life, I want to say, no, I just don't do one discipline of design. I do everything. Why? Because I want a steady paycheck. I don't want to say, oh, no, I don't do traditional architecture. I only do one thing. So you have to go to someone else for that kind of design. And so, as I said, I wanted to learn all of these things and all of the sources for all of these types of projects from other people and earn as I learn. Mm-hmm. That is so, a yeah. very smart way to do it. Uh, <laughs> one of the other things that I've I was able to do was uh, work for Ralph Lauren in the store design 
creative services department. Uh, and I was with Ralph Lauren for about seven and a half years. It was an incredible opportunity. We all call it RLU, Ralph Lauren University, because you are, it was one of my, the best experience of my, of my life to this day. I left in 2005, but I still consider it one of the highlights of my career. It was a firm, it was sort of very, okay, it's an art-based fashion firm that does interior design. It's the hallmark of everything I've ever been interested in under one roof. So why not, right? Mm -hmm. And one of the wonderful things is that uh, with the store store development group, you're traveling to different places, practicing uh, interior design and architecture, learning about different cities, how they work, the psychology of how people shop in different areas, using that same sort of Ralph Lauren uh, styling uh, and terminologies in different places and creating cultures within cities, Ralph Lauren cultures within cities, because they're not just shopping experiences. You walk into a Ralph Lauren store and you're living that whole Ralph Lauren lifestyle and from the music to the texture on the walls to the floor to the clothing, the power it is embraced within these envelopes of design. And then you go back to the office where there's always these incredible materials around and <laughs> it's just a phenomenal place. In addition to being able to travel to all of these places and be there for long periods of time. I mean, I worked on the Beverly Hills store renovations twice. People swore I lived in California. I would get mail at the Beverly Hills store. And it was just wonderful because you would actually have to stay like at the Viceroy Hotel or something for two weeks. Oh, what an awful thing, right? <laughs> so it was great because it's, a, it, it's, again, everyone there is just so creative. And every conversation, you know, takes place around the arts and creativity. And so we were able to and encouraged to go to a museum during the day and kind of be influenced by what's going on in the jewelry and translate that into the architecture of the space and you know, if you, if there were always clothes. There was always clothing around, so you can always pick up a detail in uh, a belt, you know, or stitching on a pair of leather pants or something, and translate those design elements into the architecture for the store that you're working on. So it, it was just a great opportunity. Also, it was a wonderful opportunity because it's a firm that believes in philanthropy. So we were constantly encouraged to volunteer. Um, and so for a couple of years, I mentored at the East Harlem School where we were able to, you know, develop wonderful relationships with the kids there. Um, and unfortunately, during September 11th, we were given hours upon hours upon hours to go volunteer at the site and provide food to the rescue workers and the fire department and New York um, uh, Police Department and essentially anyone who was there working who needed food, we were able to sign up to volunteer around the clock and doing that. So that to provide another layer of, of having um, and the opportunity to just support the city and support, you know, our fellow New Yorkers during a really difficult time. Uh, and a lot of firms were not doing that. They were not 
uh, encouraging their uh, staff to do that, and we were. So uh, that's another reason why I still remain so connected to the Ralph Lauren organization. Uh, but again, I was able to work on some incredible um, store designs in Chicago and Palm Beach and Beverly Hills, uh, to name a few. That sounds like an amazing experience I see now. <laughs> and then you, from what you said about jumping from agency to agency, did you ever have any pushback from them of like, oh, you're just going to come here for a year and learn and leave or anything like that? No, and I'll, I'll tell you why. Uh, it was something that was really prevalent in mm-hmm. the industry. Uh, a lot of firms hire people to do particular projects. Some okay. of those projects sometimes last from two to three years. And then when the projects don't exist, you know, they have to cut back on staff anyway. So in some of those instances, you know, I was a byproduct of that where, yeah, you worked on Beryl Lynch, you know, whatever, for three or four years and the project's over. We don't really have any other projects right now to support, you know, all 400 people on staff. So some people have to leave. But you know what? There's also something I know of another firm that's getting a lot of work right now. So they would often just recommend us to other firms as well. So there is a lot of that that goes on in the architectural world to this day. Um, but, but I always had a job. And because I was always um, flexible and willing to learn other things, I was able to move from architecture to interiors. So when the architectural department got slow, I was able to jump on our interior design projects. Mm-hmm. Nice. Becoming like a jack of all or Jane of all trades, so you always have something. You know, it was to my blessing. To this day, it was a blessing. Nice. And then it looks like you also spent some time at Armani on top of Ralph Lauren. Yeah. So how was that? Yes. Oh, my gosh. Oh. <laughs> After working for Ralph Lauren organization, I went to work for another firm, uh, the office of Terry Despont. And they, too, do incredible work. I mean, we worked on projects for Bill Gates. I renovated the Boca Raton Resort in Florida. Um, you know, there were probably seven houses done from Mickey Drexler. For um, who is the president of J. Crew organization? I worked on the Dorchester Hotel. I worked on, you know, Kensington Palace Gardens, which is a 51,000 square foot house uh, for four people. Uh, incredible, incredible projects. So after that, I went to work for the Giorgio Armani Corporation, uh, where I was the head interior designer there for celebrity projects and high end clients as well. Um, So I partnered a great deal with the uh, entertainment division and they would bring me clients as well and say, so one day I get a call, you know, oh Joy, I know you're in California for vacation, but can you hang around until tomorrow because Leo DiCaprio wants to meet you. He's got a house that needs to be done. Well, sorry, but I have to go back to New York tomorrow. I'll come (laughs) back and meet with them because you, you can't let people run over you, right? You do have a life. Um, so, I mean, that's kind of how I, I met him and started doing projects for Leo. Um, but it was a great opportunity. Uh, one of the things I was able to do was use a lot of the textiles that remained from previous fashion collections and use them on my projects, either for drapery or for, pillows or something like that. Um, But it was interesting. You know, one of the things that 
you as a designer have to let go of is ego when you work for fashion companies. You have to always remember that it is still the brand that you're selling. So when I was at Ralph Lauren, I was able to use traditional and modern items in my architecture. But when I went to Ralph Lauren, Ralph Lauren has a very particular aesthetic. Ralph, um, I'm sorry, Giorgio Armani has a very particular aesthetic. Giorgio Armani has a very concise manner of presenting itself. Um, but in my work, I would always mix other vendors as well because that's how American designers work. A European approach is an ensemble approach where everything in the room looks like it's of that same manufacturer. It's a very European thing to do. Americans don't respond that way. They want, sure, a Giorgio Armani sofa and table, but they want a bed for someone else. And so it's a very different way of working, um, but still enjoyable nonetheless. Uh, so, it, yeah, I mean, it's, it was just different. It was different. I enjoyed the experience. It was incredible. I mean, there were parties constantly. Um, yeah, it was just like party time all the time. <laughs> we got these great fashion shows. You know, what, what can you complain about, you know? Exactly. Great fashion shows, always great parties. It's just <laughs> Awesome. Just really, really awesome. <laughs> I mean, some clients would just say, oh, do you want to go to a movie premiere? Like, okay. Sure. Why not? <laughs> you know, and just okay, drive with me. Sure. Okay. You know, one of the other clients I worked for was um, at Armani was Patrick Riley of the Lakers. He was a coach at Lakers and then Miami Heat. And Patrick Riley is one of the people who put Armani on the map, you know, and got the coaches starting to dress really, really well because he was always in an Armani suit, you know. So it was just really, really fun. And so when he invited me to come to Miami to a game, I thought, okay, fine, I'll go to the game, you know. They, they'll put me up in a hotel, fine, it'll be nice. It was a gorgeous hotel right on the water, fine. So they said, oh, you know, we'll send the car for you. Okay, okay, fine. I thought, you know, they send a taxi. And they send this big old car for me. I'm like, okay, fine. And I'm telling the driver, oh, you could just let me out right here, you know, in front of the stadium. I'm sure, you know, I could find my way to the ticket office. And the guy's like, no, no, no. The driver says, no, just sit down. Just sit down and relax. You're not, I'm not going to drop you in the front. So he drives me around to the back. And we get out and we're parked next to all these Rolls Royces and Maseratis and all this. And the guy comes out and he gets me. And he's, I'm like, okay, fine, I'll find my way to the seat. And then they lead me down to the front. We go in the back and Patrick Riley stands up, you know, and he's the only one in this room with 18 monitors on the wall. And I just had to laugh because I was just expecting, you know, to just find a seat and watch the game and, then he walks me down, you know, to the front row where all the players are sitting and we sit behind the players and Dwayne Wade and all these people are coming over to say hello. And it was just a wonderful experience that I wasn't expecting. Uh, so there were all of these constant wonderful perks that come with 
doing interior design and being the mm-hmm. interior designer for Georgia Romani that I was not expecting when I first joined the company. But um, it just leads to the experience, the work experience. Um, and it was just very, very different from some of my previous work experiences where, you know, you're just expected to show up every day, do your job and go home and nobody really cares about the quality of your life. But Ralph Lauren and Georgia Romani organizations were two of my finest uh, companies that I worked for because there was a true appreciation of the work that you did during the day and making mm-hmm. sure that you had a lifestyle experience while you were there. And then to your favorite company of all, your company now that you've been running. Yeah, well, I started uh, Joy Moilet Interiors in 2012, late 2011, um, at a time when, you know, designers were still struggling a little bit after, you know, our wonderful financial disaster. Uh, But I said, you know what, I'm ready. I'm ready to do my own thing. I've been working for other people and now's the time and I've amassed all of this experience and discipline and this is the time to strike out on my own. And I was very, very fortunate because when I left Armani, I was um, in really, really good favor with the woman, um, Roberta Armani, who has entertainment worldwide for Georgia Armani. And I'd already done a project for her ex-husband, and she was in awe and in amazement of it and loved it and loved not just the fact that I did the project, but the manner and how I did the project and my respectful nature toward him and towards his investment of his home and as a result recommended me to a great deal of other of Armani's clients. Um, And that's something that I do not take lightly because she Mm -hmm. knows a lot of people and she easily did not have to encourage me so favorably and recommend me so highly. And to this day, I work on clients that are Giorgio Armani entertainment clients as a result. Um, So that's check plus. Yeah, definitely. So uh, one of the projects that I worked on uh, for Armani originally was a project for the St. John Mayer, and that's been published in El Decor magazine, and to this day I continue to do work for him. Um, Aside from interior design, I believe in being respectful toward my clients. I think their uh, relationship with me and the experience that they have is paramount uh, and more important in a lot of ways than the design itself because, you know, you always want to be able to have return clients and that's the way to do it. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Okay. And so I know this probably doesn't exist, and I did see one video where you talked a little bit about it, but what is a typical day like for you? You know, they all change. There is no typical mm-hmm. day. I, I'm currently working on a project in Moscow designing a golf resort there. Um, so the day, start, the day starts fairly early because we're on the seven-hour time difference, and I start hearing their emails pinging at 3 in the morning. Mm-hmm. And so the first order of business after coffee 
<laughs> and playing with my cats <laughs> is, um, you know, jumping on those emails and taking care of what I need to do for that particular project so they can have what they need as their day ends. Uh, from that point, I start working on domestic projects. Uh, so the day ends up being long because West Coast projects are, you know, three hours behind us. And then there are clients who are on the road or traveling in different time zones or or working on movie sets till three in the morning. And when they're in the trailer, they think, oh, show me that sofa. Or finally responding to an email that I sent them, you know, three days earlier that they hadn't gotten a chance to get to. So the days tend to start very early and end late. Uh, during the course of the day, there is, of course, shopping to be done and specifications that need to be written and staff that I need to review projects with, sites that I need to visit, be they in New York or out of the city or out of the country or whatever. Uh, so a great deal of travel is involved. I always have a movable office. Thank God for cell phones and laptops and um, global entries because you can get anywhere quickly. Um, so that's kind of the talking to different people, you know, always continuing to build relationships with vendors and prior clients because prior clients uh, still need a lot of work as well. Uh, one of the things that I've done, which has been really uh, the, one of the smartest things that I've done is I, I, I am an interior designer, but also a lifestyle concierge. And lifestyle concierge often means property management, which is taking care of things for clients who reside in other countries or clients who reside even in New York and hiring staff for them. I will hire uh, chefs for them. I hire personal trainers for them. I hire cleaning people. I hire people to detail the car. Um, if they're coming to New York and they don't have staff, I hire the florists. I make sure the refrigerators stock with the things that they want to eat before they arrive so that they walk in the door. There's music playing and they have their favorite soaps and candles and all those sorts of things. So I'm not a designer who designs their project, says everything's fabulous, fabulous. Give me my last check and I'm off. You know, I continue to have relationships. I continue to be involved in their lifestyles by choice uh, because they are so highly respectful of how easy I make their life. I mean, everybody's busy. You know, everybody is out, you know, running 15 companies or whatever, and they don't really give thought to, oh, my God, do, is there food in the refrigerator? Oh, my God, you know, I'm, a, I'm going to have a date, you know. I don't want anybody, you know, I'm, I'm a private person. I'm going to have a date. I don't want people to see me buying condoms, you know. I don't want them reading and then, in people magazine what kind of condoms I bought you know and those sorts of things you know intimate details of their lives so these are things that I'll take care of you know nobody knows who I am they don't care what I'm doing and whose apartment I'm going into so I can take care of those things and they still maintain you know their anonymity and you know a lot of them have personal assistants but maybe they don't want their personal assistants you know doing that kind of stuff either because they don't want to hear about it on TMZ or whatever. So, I mean, these are things that I do. 
uh, and I don't mind doing it. You know, I, I go to the store for myself. I can go to the store for someone else as well. So I think adding that lifestyle concierge uh, arm to my business as well ha- has been a wonderful thing. Um, so my next question, which you just answered, was going to be what sets you apart from other interior designers, but it seems like that holistic approach, that attention to detail, going above and beyond, but anything else I'm missing that you might want to throw in? I, I think that's it. I think that's it. Mm-hmm. Okay. And if you could give advice to a budding interior designer, what would it be? I would say um, be passionate about every level of design. Uh, don't just think you could pick up a magazine and put it under your arm and say to somebody, oh, I could do this for you. Um, take classes. I know the idea. Excuse me, my voice cracked. I know the idea is, you know, do it quickly. Now, everybody wants to, you know, jump out, take one class or no classes and, you know, go out and get Vista print cards and say, I'm an interior designer and get a website and say, oh, you know, I, everything's fabulous. I'm an interior designer. You know, and that to me is so ridiculous. If someone comes to me who wants to be hired with that kind of mentality, those are people that I can't work with because I believe in putting your time and if I ask someone to source something, find a so find a Beaux-Arts sofa, which I, I haven't done yet, but, you know, you know, find a sofa, you know, that is of a particular design. You know, I don't want somebody saying, oh, I don't know what that is. Come to me, have an education, do the work, show me that you've actually studied something, not that you've read an, you know, an El Decor magazine and you think that you could do everything I, and you know so many people come to me and it, it, it really irritates me they say I could do this 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 and when you say okay fine sketch this do me a you know give me a perspective drawing of this space it's already all the materials are selected here's the layout of the materials just draw the room based upon these materials and these uh, furnishings that have been selected and then they, they turn the computer on and they can't do anything you know, so it's important for people to actually be able to produce what they say they can do. Be who you say you are. Don't fake it till you make it. Take some classes. Understand the discipline and what you're doing. And be able to convey those talents. Come with the talent. Don't just come here and say that you could do anything. And when I say that I busted my but doing stuff, I've busted my butt from the ground up. You know, learn everything. Go work for a workshop that does window treatment. Go work for a mill worker and understand different types of woods and what a book match is and what a quarter sawn is and know what a Macarade Sapelli is or what a sycamore is. You know, know the different terminologies and the different types of woods and what a flitch is. I mean, I said to somebody what. I said to someone once, you know, go see some flitches. And she said, oh, did you say bitches? I said, no, flitches. <laughs> she never heard the word flitch, you know, regarding mm-hmm. wood or woodwork. So, you know, it's like just know what you're doing and know what you're talking about and put the time and attention in and just don't go to some, you know, design architectural digest parties and call yourself a interior designer and use the word fabulous. 45 times in one sentence, you know, it comes with knowing something, mm-hmm. comes with knowing something, no one expects you to know everything, but know something and know the vital elements 
uh, of what it takes. Carry, how about this? How about carrying a tape measure and measuring things four times? So when the sofa arrives on site, you've navigated the length of the corridor and knowing that there's a turn at the end of the corridor so the sofa doesn't have to get cut up. So when you tell me that you've measured something and you know that everything is correct, from the freight elevator to getting it in the apartment is actually going to happen. You know, basic skills, basic, basic skills. Do you feel like with this generation there is a lack of, like, really putting in your time and learning that skill set and it's kind of overnight success? I really, really believe that, and it's not just a thought. It's I see it all the time. Mm -hmm. And not just with myself, colleagues, who, you know, you get together for dinner or something, and the first 45 minutes of conversation is about someone who didn't take the time to measure something. Oh, my God, I had to have the headboard right at the top of the elevator, and I had to get the elevator shut down because, you know, the damn thing wouldn't fit because so-and-so, you know, just assured me that it was, you know, measured. You know, we don't, as, as owners of companies, we don't always have the time all day to go around and double-check everybody's work. So when, mm-hmm. so when someone says to you, I measured it, I know it's fine, you know, you don't want to get the phone call when you're at a meeting with another client that we need to shut the elevator down because the headboard needs to ride the top of the elevator, you know, that kind of thing. And it, so it's something that's, you know, a little too prevalent in the industry where people take one or two classes and they think that that's it. Or you hear the story where, you know, people have taken maybe four years and then they go and start their own firms. But when they get on the construction site with the general contractor, it becomes a disaster because they don't know what they're talking about. You know, Mm -hmm. and one of the things that I've always been able to do is communicate very, very well with contractors. I speak their language, whatever language that needs to be at the time, if you know what I mean. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I'll draw upside down on site on a piece of sheetrock, you know, and do a design detail uh, to get to get it going. You know, they don't have to sit around and wait for somebody else to come do that for me. So it goes back to the ability to draw by hand before AutoCAD, you know, and those are some of the things again, that were developed during my Skidmore, Owings, and Merrill years. So that's why I say, you know, things I learned then in the trenches are still things that I implement today. Mm -hmm. So there again, ergo, the value of hard knocks, Mm -hmm. of learning at the bottom (laughs) up. Mm -hmm. Indeed. And uh, my last question for you is, what would you like to see Joy Moiler Interiors happen next with us? Like, what do you think... Would you like in five years, ten years? Like, what would you like to see as the company grows? Well, I want to, you know, start getting into some product design um, because you know, I'm, you're always using other manufacturers' things. But I, I do a lot of custom work, but I'd like to take some of those custom pieces and develop them further, not just for specific projects because I'm already putting the design effort in anyway. So I should get into you know, producing some of those items on maybe more of a massive scale. I'd like to be involved in some set design. I have a lot of friends who do movie things and that sort of thing, and they ask me to do little things. And I know there's a specific sort of arena for set design, but I'd like to 
start doing a little bit more of that um, and continue to grow with my international projects. I'm starting a, a home in London. I'm working on the golf resort in Moscow. And so I definitely want to continue doing international projects as well. So for the golf resort in Moscow, are you building it? Or are you designing the interior of it? Or? The interiors. My colleague Meg okay. is doing the architecture. He is from Ralph Lauren as well. And mm. despite the myths, Russians do love American design. <laughs> and so this is very much going to be a Ralph Lauren-esque kind of structure uh, and environment. So Greg is doing the architecture. I'm doing all of the interiors. It is probably about, I want to say, 60,000 square foot space with multiple buildings. It will house a spa, multiple uh, restaurants, um, all sorts of beautiful things. <laughs> I'm incredibly excited about it, and I, too, am designing the um, uniforms for the resort. So I'm able to bring that fashion uh, aspect into it as well. So it's mm-hmm. it's really exciting. It's been a project that's been on the board for two years already uh, with many delays, but it looks like it's going to be completed the end of this year. They start construction next month. So it, it's really going to be a phenomenal, um, phenomenal piece and also a phenomenal opportunity for Russians to play golf. And the famed golfer Jack Nicklaus is designing the green. So it's really going to be something from us. Thanks again to Joy for her time today. Have a follow-up question? Leave a comment below and we will be sure to ask her and get you an answer. Thanks for tuning in and see you next week.